Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit ByteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Leona Illig, and we'll be talking about her journey, as well as her new book, Mom and Dementia in Me, A Caregiver's Journey. This book is a personal memoir of a daughter who discovers and tries to manage the onset of Louis body dementia in her mother. The aim of the book is to help others who suddenly find themselves in the role of caregiver, especially those who have little training or experience with dementia patients. It discusses issues such as recognizing the early symptoms of dementia, how to adapt the home to support the person suffering from dementia, and how to secure and manage the services of medical doctors, home health care workers, and hospice nurses. It describes coping with the frightening symptoms of the disease, such as psychotic episodes, as well as some of the less serious side effects, such as brief memory losses. Leona has lived in various places around the world, including Thailand, Laos, Egypt, and Yemen, and she has studied Arabic, Cambodian, Lao, Thai, and Vietnamese. After retiring from the U.S. Department of Defense with the rank of Defense Intelligence Senior Level, she worked as a book reviewer for Children's Literature, LLC, and she holds an associate degree in elementary education and a master's degree in English literature. You can find out more by visiting Leona's website, which is 3villagesmedia.com, and that's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E, threevillagesmedia.wordpress.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Leona to the show. Good day, Leona. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It is my pleasure. And, and you know, it's one of the caregiving challenges that people go through on a daily basis is one of the areas that I like to spend as much attention as I can. And, you know, each, each story is different, um, but there are some things to be learned. So I'm really looking forward to you sharing your story about you and your mom. Um, Let's start first of all. You know, why why did you decide to write the book? You know what inspired you to write the book? Well, uh, after my mom uh, passed away from the complications of Lewy body dementia, I had people come up to me, uh, people who were friends or just casual um, acquaintances, and they'd say, "What? How? What, what was it like? And what did you do? And how did you manage it?" And so I started writing emails to all these people, and then I thought, well, people want to know about my experience, which I, I'm not a professional, a healthcare professional. I, I need your audience to know that right away. I'm not a nurse, a doctor, or a professional um, caregiver. I'm just an ordinary person who was suddenly faced with the task of caring for my mom with dementia. So anyway, when friends started asking me, I thought, well, I do like to write, and I have a diary of the days of the four years that Mom had dementia, and I kept a log of what was going on. So I thought, I'm just going to write a short book and just tell people uh, what it was like for me. Yeah. Well, and that's great that you had the diary and log. You know, that's one thing I think that um, many people, you know, don't realize the the benefit of having that. Oh, oh, it is. It's so important. And it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. It can just be something like the date, what happened, like um, mom wouldn't take her medicine or mom fell in the bathroom or just something short. And then the result, we went to the ER or uh, everything turned out okay or we went to the, our, our primary care phys, um, physician. So it doesn't have to be long. It can be short. 
but you will really um it will really come in handy as the years go by because I thought this would never happen, but at some point, I started getting the years confused. Uh, Mom was sick. Well, we took care of Mom at my house for four or five years, and I had forgotten the year that something had happened. So put the year in. It won't take about a second of your time. And then the other thing that's good about it, it not only is it good for you, it's good for your doctors because it makes such a difference that you can walk into the doctor's office and say, I give them a piece of paper, or it can be on a, on your cell phone and a computer file. Here's what happened to mom uh, since the last time I saw you. It's really helpful. Oh, ab- absolutely. And like you say, that um, it would be one of those things that would be, um, you know, very, very handy as far as, you know, your recall, but also, for, you know, for those professionals that you come upon. And do, making sure to put the year in there, you you know, automatically recognize that it might be a multiple year type of situation that, that you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, and I, I should emphasize that every um, dementia case is different, even when you have, like, the same variety of the disease. And... Um, and so you want to be um, when you do your when you do your journal, uh, just try to um, make it something as easy for you to write. Don't make it hard for yourself. I know lots of people want to do spreadsheets and, and all these <laughs> fancy things. Um, for me, that that didn't work. But if it works for you, that's okay. Yeah, that, that's very true. That's very true. We have our own ways of managing information. So now let's talk a little bit about um, her diagnosis of Lewy body dementia. So can you share with the listeners um, about that form of dementia and how it differs from other forms? Yeah. Um, In the very beginning, um, mom's doctors uh, emphasized to me that there was was no um, 100% sure way of diagnosing even dementia in general, but they could tell that mom had some sort of dementia. It was only after she was had the disease for, for three or, or so years that the doctors were able to say, yeah, we think this is Lewy body dementia. And the reason that is is because the brain is a very um, complicated thing, and sadly, the only real way to find out what the disease is is after uh, a death and an autopsy, which that's what you want to avoid, right? But there are Mm -hmm. a list uh, of um, symptoms that line up with the different uh, kinds of dementia, like Alzheimer's is is the most uh, well-known. But Lewy body is is probably the second uh, most well-known. And what they did, doctors did, was they asked me what are all mom's different symptoms. And then they compared that to the symptoms that they had for Lewy body dementia, and they lined up pretty well. Um, if you want me to go into the, the different symptoms of Lewy body, I can do that. Yeah, you know, if you if you wouldn't mind sharing that, I think that would be useful for for the listeners. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, um, Lewy body dementia, and I think most other dementias, it's not the sort of thing where you misplace your car keys and you can't find them. That That's not it. Mom started out with dizziness. Uh, she would just get dizzy and have to sit down. And uh, then there was uh, confusion in Mom's mind about what was going on. And the, the easiest way I can tell you this is that when she was watching TV, she loved her soap operas, and she would, she would watch them uh, every day. But she started to get confused about where the characters were in the soap opera or were they in real life. And uh, one time she called me and she started talking about a doctor who I'd never heard about before. <laughs> and then I realized it was, a, it was actually a doctor on one of her soap operas. And she'd gotten confused about where that doctor was in real life. So that was two things. But the first thing that I should have noticed and I didn't was Mom's gait, how she walked. Mom and I used to go to the store and the mall, and she would keep up with me all the time, never had a problem. 
But that very um, first year, uh, I noticed that she was lagging behind me. And when she walked, it was as if uh, one leg was heavier than the other, so that she was favoring one leg and coming down uh, hard on the other leg. It was a weakness in her leg. And I didn't get that. I didn't understand the early warning signs at all. I just thought, oh, Mom probably needs, you know, a new pair of shoes, that's all. Mm-hmm. But uh, the next time I took her to the mall, she, we were on the escalator, and Mom's legs gave out, both legs gave out of her, and she just sat down on the escalator. And, and that was terrifying because I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do, but I thought I've got to get Mom up before we hit the bottom of the escalator. Mm-hmm. So somehow I was able to pull her up, and she put her hand on the escalator railing, and we got down to the bottom. And she was able to walk off, and after she rested a little while, she was okay again. But that's one of the uh, big things about um, Louis body dementia. It's not just mental, it's, it's physical. She, the way she walked, and, um, and sometimes the way she talked, because mom, mom was always a very friendly person. I, I noticed that she seemed to talk a little less in those, those early years. Mom also had a great sense of humor, and that seemed to be uh, going away a little bit. It wasn't the same as it had been. But again, I had, I'd had no idea what dementia, dementia was. There was no um, cases of dementia in Mom's family. In fact, there was no, no one we knew who had dementia. We had heard about Robin Williams, but... It was that classic case where we said, well, that'll never happen to us. But sure enough, it did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that uh, escalator um, story, uh, I believe at the end, didn't she kind of say something about not to worry that nobody saw? You know, yes. That was, uh... <laughs> My mom was so. a farmer's uh, wife, and she was of the generation that, we took care of ourselves, and if we had a problem, we really didn't mention it. And Mom's, you're right, Mom's reaction to the escalator incident was, it's okay, nobody saw me, so it's all right. But by yeah, that time, I knew something wasn't right. Yeah, yeah, well. Um, now, you you mentioned about, um, you know, caring for your mom in your home for a few years. Now, can you talk a little bit about the decision to move your mother from her farmhouse that she lived, you know, virtually all her life to to yours? Tell tell us about that decision and what was uh, what was the effort like? Well, it was very very difficult because um as I said earlier, your mom was a farmer's wife and we we would see how some of our, our friends and relatives would wind up in um, nursing homes and assisted living. And I had promised Mom after uh, my dad died, don't worry, Mom, you'll, you're gonna, I'm going to keep you here in your farmhouse forever. Don't ever worry about leaving it. And that was very comforting to her. And it was a promise I thought I could keep, but I, I could not. And I just didn't realize the reality of the situation. The first thing I did was when mom started having severe uh, symptoms and we knew we couldn't leave her alone by herself, I tried to get help to come in. And um, I can go into that a little later on if you if you want me to, but it, it didn't work out. We couldn't find a, um, a caregiver or, a, or an agency for caregiving that was something – that worked well for mom and that it was totally, we could depend on it. It it just wasn't going to work out. So I said to myself, well, if I can't hire a a caregiver for, you know, a a fairly long period of time, maybe I can be the caregiver. I know mom. I mean, I know how she is. I know what she likes to eat. Why don't I just bring her to my house and uh, I'll take care of her and my husband will help me. Well, when Mom heard that idea, she did not like it at all. And uh, I honestly don't know what would have happened if it hadn't been for the fact that she had a um, a pretty bad hallucination, and which scared her. And uh, I, at that point, I said, well, Mom, 
you almost fell down there. Why don't you come to my house and try to recuperate for a while and see how you do? So making it sound like it was only going to be a temporary move um, made it okay for Mom. But I'll have to tell you, um, I felt really bad because I made this promise, and, um, and now I couldn't mm-hmm. keep it. So I just advise um, other people, um, sometimes uh, life gets away from you, and sometimes things happen that you just can't control. So try, try not to make my, make my mistake and, and try not to make a promise that you can't keep. So anyway, we brought her down to my house, and um, in the beginning, Mom's dementia uh, wasn't quite all that bad. She could still do some things. But uh, toward the end, um, the symptoms uh, became more severe, and uh, and she began to lose her memory. And after a while, she, this is very strange. Um, she, know, I used to bring her down to the farmhouse. But once a week, I would drive down there and I would show her that everything was okay. But she stopped wanting to go down there. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. important to her anymore, and that was that was the dementia. Yeah. Wow. Um, when you you mentioned about you know the difficulty with getting help, you know that was reliable and would work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's a very common problem for for people who, especially in the initial stages of being a caregiver, um, to be able to try and find something that works. Oh, it is. And uh, the first thing I would say is I have the utmost respect for um, caregivers. They have a very, very difficult job. Um, They never know from one day to the next what they're going to be faced with. So uh, all the caregivers I had, uh, I really respected and appreciated. The trouble is um, with mom, um, she had to have um, 24-hour care because uh, we were very much afraid Mom would just walk out of the house at night, and she was walking around the house. So we knew we, we couldn't let that happen, so we needed someone 24 hours a day. Well, you, you really, at least in my experience, I couldn't find someone like that. But I could find caregiving agencies that would send three people of shifts. They would do shifts of eight hours each. So that that seems reasonable, and I, and I welcome that. But... That means mom has to get used to not one stranger being in her house, but three. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that was really hard for her. The other thing was that caregivers are just like you and me. Um, they have family emergencies. They have illnesses. So we would, I would often get a call the day before saying that so-and-so caregiver can't show up. There'll be somebody new. And that would mean I'd have to be there to brief them all over again. I used to call it um, my mom briefing 101, and um, <laughs> you, you do get tired trying to explain over and over again, you know, what your mom's symptoms are. Even though if you have a log and you have a lot of things written down, it's still hard. But um, the thing was, with mom needing 24-hour um, care and not being able to find a uh, a caregiver or a caregiver service that could provide a little bit of long-term stability there. The only other um, option that I knew that I had was assisted living. And I will say this to you. Knowing what I do now, I would have looked into that more. But, again, I had that promise in my, in my, in my mind that, Mom, I won't, I won't take you. I won't let you leave the farmhouse. And I sort of rationalized bringing her to my house and saying, well, she's sort of still in the family. And I didn't really look into assisted living, and I should have, and I, I wish I had. But one thing I need to tell everyone, and um, uh, this will be um, important for some people, maybe, maybe less important for others, is that all of these options are expensive. Um, you have to take a look at, um, yeah, and you can shop around. There are, there's a dozen different caregiver agencies out there. Look at them all and, and see what they provide and, um, and see if, uh, if you can afford it. Um, 
sometimes people can't, and then and then you have a, a really difficult situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a friend who had to go the assisted living route. Just mm-hmm. it wasn't um, his mom wasn't that dementia, um, but it was you know old age and mm-hmm. you know just the inability to to you know to live you know without assistance. And and you know I went around and looked at all of the assisted living facilities and. In the the cost of each, and it was it was amazing. I mean, the the, the cost is just incredible, you know, to begin with, and then the variety of facilities too. I mean, it's um, it, it's just amazing, you know. That's um, some of them were large, and you know, <laughs> required a scooter <laughs> to get around, you know, you know, and then some of them were like, you know. Uh, you know their, their their level of care, you know, and, and their you know, employees kind of left something to be desired. So, so it it is a very challenging process when you're going through and, and looking at assisted living. Yeah, and I would I would just tell your your listeners that um, if you can start early on these things, I never thought dementia would strike mom. I never thought a, a mental disease would have any effect on her at all. I was thinking physical, sure, I can I can deal with that. But a mental mm-hmm. disease like dementia is is totally different, and uh, you really do need a lot of care for that. There are things uh, like long-term health care policies. Um, I think a lot of them are limited to three years, and the truth is um, mm-hmm. when you get dementia, no one knows how long you can live with it. Some people don't live very long at all. Um, my mom had it for about five or six years that, that we can calculate. Uh, but some people have it for one year, and some people have it for 10 or 15 years. So yeah. you don't think about these things ahead of time, and certainly I didn't, and, and I wish I had, because there's a lot of shopping you have to do around comparison. One thing I should mention is um, sometimes the Department of Aging of your state or county can really uh, help out. In fact, in our county, um, Anne Arundel County in Maryland, we have a, a Department of Aging uh, right uh, person right in our senior center, and she has a list of um, caregivers, and we, mm. that helped that helped for quite a while. So you can you can patch together different kinds of um, help, and you can also you know look at your church or your synagogue, or any place, a house of worship, uh, sometimes you can find help there. But all of this takes a lot of time. And if your uh, mom or your relative already has dementia, you don't have a lot of time to, to talk to people and to, to run around looking at different facilities. I know it sounds easy yeah. to say, but if you can, try to think about these things ahead of time. Yeah, very much so, because it, it does involve a lot of legwork, you know, in, in research. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and the earlier the better, no doubt. Now, was, was your mother aware, or when did your mother become aware, you know, of, you know, her diagnosis and what was going on with her? Well, in the very beginning, uh, Mom <laughs> denied anything was wrong, and frankly, so did I. I said, oh, this must just be, um, you know, old age. But uh, after she started having um, some pretty bad hallucinations and difficulty walking, um, one day Mom was sitting on the couch in the living room, and she just looked at me and said, Leona, uh, something's wrong with my mind. And she, she knew that. And I, I said, well, no, Mom, don't worry about it. You're okay. But uh, she knew at that point. But... As uh, the symptoms um, increased, uh, she knew less and less. And one of the tough things about my mom's particular kind of dementia was uh, she basically uh, stopped talking. She didn't have very mm-hmm. much to say at all. So I, I never, I, I would ask her questions, and she said she would say, "I'm fine," and and that would be it. Mm-hmm. I never really knew um, what she was thinking. But I don't believe she had any idea at the toward the end that she had 
dementia called Lewy body uh, dementia. I don't think she she knew that at all. In fact, I'm I'm not even sure she knew that anything was wrong. She had a, her little routine. It was very limited. She wanted to stay in her room. She wanted to have um, she loved pancakes. She wanted to eat. She actually wanted to eat pancakes three times a day, <laughs> which is a lot. <laughs> but she had her pancakes. She had her cookies. Um, she had her um, Diet Coke, and and because we were able to find a doctor that made house calls, she no longer had to go out um, to the doctor's office, which was a great relief because as the disease progressed, Mom wanted to do less and less, especially outside the house. She, I guess she felt safe inside the house and not so safe outside. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you know, the idea of the denial, you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a chapter in your book, that doesn't mean the river, and with your Egypt background, <laughs> it was very fitting, I thought. But, you know, when, when she said that something was wrong with her mind and you said, no, 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 you know, old age, I think, you know, that is, um, I think that's common, you know, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with people and, um, so for people who hear that from an elderly person, from their parent or, you know, someone in their care, um, I, I guess it's really important, along with not making promises you might not be able to keep, to, to listen and say, well, you know, what makes you say that? Or, you know, kind of maybe follow up on, on what they're feeling yeah. or what they think is going on. That's so true. I, I wish I had listened more and talk to more mom more at that stage of the disease than rather uh, waiting until it got so that um, she couldn't really talk very much at all. Um, one thing that always will, um, I guess, perplex me was uh, mom never complained about pain uh, until the very, very end. And, you know, everybody complains about aches and pains at some time in their life, Mom never did, and and now I look back on it, I think she must have been in pain at some point, at some points, but she either couldn't tell me or she wouldn't tell me, and and I don't mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. It's mm-hmm. one of the. It's, I often wonder what's what's worse, having a a physical disease or a mental disease, and I'm thinking now that um, a mental disease like dementia. Uh, may be harder to cope with because if you have a patient who's who knows what's going on and uh, and can discuss the symptoms and discuss the disease that makes a, a big difference and, and you don't have that with dementia in, the, in a lot of cases yeah, yeah absolutely well, well you know we're halfway through the show so i want to take just a, a quick break and then when we come back i want to continue our conversation okay okay sounds great Okay, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link, that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Leona Illig, 
and we are talking about her book, her new book, Mom and Dementia and Me, A Caregiver's Journey. And again, you can find out more about Leona's this book as well as Leona's other fiction and nonfiction works by visiting her website, which is threevillagesmedia.wordpress.com. And that's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E, threevillagesmedia.wordpress.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Leona. Mm-hmm. Hi, how you doing? Okay. You're doing okay. <laughs> So now there was one story in your book that that I'd like to talk about a little, and because because I think there's a couple, um, you know, just important like kind of messages within the story, and and that's the story of when your mom kind of felt like she was kidnapped, you know, and that she was going to be killed. Um, so can you? I mean, you know, this obviously goes, you know, with that hallucination aspect. Um, but can you tell the story of what happened and how it was resolved? Yes. Um, this was about the uh, fourth year of Mom being with us, and we had sort of settled into a, a, a quiet routine because um, Mom was, was pretty stable. She wasn't – she was not talking very much at all. But we had a um, a, um, a nurse come to the house uh, once in a while to check on her, and uh, and that was good. We also this nurse, by the way, did house calls, so that was that was great. So mom didn't have to go outside the house or anything, and uh, things were were kind of quiet. And uh, I guess it's human nature, but I thought, well, maybe this will be the way it goes until the very end. And if, it, and if that's the way it is, we're we're okay with it. But it we had an incident which uh, then put us into hospice. So. Let me tell you what happened. It was it was a normal day. It was a it was actually a, a pretty sunny day. It was in the in the spring or, or summer, I think. And um, mom was in her room where she normally was, and I was out in the, in the living room reading, and, and my husband David was on his computer. And uh, I heard mom uh, come out of her room, and uh, which was, was kind of odd because she really didn't come out of her room at all, but she was. There she was with her rollator rolling it around, and she went into the kitchen. And I thought, well, that's very strange. And she opened the um, refrigerator door and stood there for a few minutes and then closed it. And I always think that maybe she got mad because there were no um, no hard crabs in there or something because mom felt out hard crabs. <laughs> But anyway, she came out into the living room where we where we were sitting, and she said, "You can't do this anymore. You've kidnapped me, and you're keeping me here, and I'm calling the police." Mm-hmm. And I was just, and my husband both were just stunned. We thought, "What is this?" So mom only weighed a hundred pounds. So I went over to her and I said, "Mom, can you can you just uh, sit down for a minute?" And she pushed me. And you would not think a 100-pound little old lady could, could push it that hard, but she did. And she started yelling. Uh, and then there was the anger in her voice. Uh, it was not Mom's voice anymore. I, don't know, I didn't know who this person was uh, saying she needed to call the police right away and have me arrested for what I, for I was keeping her uh, in the house. So... I told my husband, uh, call 911 right away and get an ambulance here, and we can uh, then uh, try to get her to the hospital. Because I thought she was having, well, I knew she was having some kind of terrible incident. And <laughs> Mom tried to push my husband, David, well, he's a little heavier than she is. So he, he got to the phone, and I, and he made a phone call to 911. In the meantime, uh, David said, why don't you just open the front door, uh, take her outside, and let her sit on the steps and see, because we knew she wouldn't go very far. So I said, mm-hmm. okay, that's what I'll try to do. So I went to the front door, opened it up, and I said, Mom, you want to come out here? Well, she's still yelling. And she, and she, <laughs> she comes down the steps. We only have three steps, so it's easy for her. I was even helping her. And she got to the, uh, end of the, of the stairs. Then she looked around, 
and I could see she was puzzled. I could I could tell. She, I don't think she knew where she was. But she started yelling, I need the police. I got to call the police. And I thought to myself, what are the neighbors going to think now? <laughs> Which is not something you think you, you normally think. Yeah, I'm more concerned about my mom. But <laughs> but here I am worried about what the neighbors will think. Well, anyway. Well, it's kind of like your mom coming through with the escalator, you know. <laughs> don't, don't worry, they didn't see. <laughs> That's right, exactly. So we, we stood out there for a few minutes, and then, lo and behold, a police car drives up. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what is this? And then David came out, and he talked to him, and they came over to me. It turned out that when David called 911, um, the uh, operator thought it was a domestic disturbance rather than a, a case where they needed an ambulance. So she sent the police. And the police came, and they... They couldn't have been nicer. I explained what had happened. And by this time, Mom was sitting down on the steps, and uh, and she was kind of calm, but she was looking around, uh, and she realized these were the police. So after I explained what was going on, um, the police, a policeman, very nice, came over to her and said, Ma'am, would you like to sit in my car for a while? <laughs> Which is very nice of them. But Mom said, no, I'm going to stay here. And so she sat there on the steps. And the police told me, and I this is another thing I didn't know, that at least in, the, in our county and state, um, I couldn't force Mom to go with them. Um, I, in order to get to them, for them to take Mom to the hospital, they needed a court order saying that mom was not able to make decisions on her own, but that I was. And, of course, I had no such court order. So they, they said, well, we, we can't do anything except stay here for a little while. And, and they did. And in the meantime, uh, David had called mom's uh, uh, physician, who said, okay, what I'm going to do is prescribe some uh, an, uh, mild antipsychotic medicine and you can go up to um, the pharmacy and get it and give it to her right away. And if she's calm now, I, I think pretty much that will keep her calm. So we did that. Um, David went out and got the prescription. And by this time, the uh, police said, well, I think we're going to go now because she seems pretty quiet. And um, they did ask if they could, if they could need, if we needed help to get her back in the house. But we, we didn't. David and I were able to get her back in the house and, and in her room again, and she said, I want to take a nap. So we laid her down on the um, on the sofa. And David had gotten the medicine and, and given her some. And then her her doctor or nurse, nurse practitioner, who was so great, she said, uh, it's likely that your mom will um, sleep uh, through the rest of the afternoon and probably um, the night and wake up in the morning, and I will be there in the morning. And uh, thankfully, Mom did sleep. She uh, she uh, woke up the next morning, and she had um, no co- concept of what had happened the day before. I didn't try to bring it up to her too much, but I said, do you remember uh, we had some police here yesterday? And, and she just shook her head, no. So when her doctor came, she, first of all, she talked about antipsychotic medicines, which are, um, you had to be very, very careful with them. Um, some are mild, some are uh, stronger, but you can have good reactions and bad reactions, and sometimes they work, and, and sometimes they, no, they don't. And, and what is required is that the uh, caregiver um, just monitor the patient to see how they're doing on, on the antipsychotic. Well, um, Mom seemed to be doing pretty good for that day, but um, her uh, our uh, nurse practitioner um, said there's one other thing we now have to talk about. She said when you get to the stage where um, your mom's having um, psychotic episodes, which could result in harm to herself or, or anyone else, uh, that's the time you need to talk to hospice. And uh, that mm-hmm. put us on the road to hospice. Yeah, boy. You know, and, and the the idea, first of all, you know, when you 
in, in when you were recounting that in, in the book, you know, you indicated, you know, the thought of, you know, what will the neighbors think and, and how uh, strange that, that that, you know, should be a first thought. Um, I, I I don't think that's you know unusual. I mean I think you know with when it comes to you know um, dealing with situations that are unique and, and that you've never encountered before, um, you know particularly when it comes down to police showing up, you know, and you know and the idea of maybe people don't um, know about someone's diagnosis. That um, you know, I, I just I really wanted you to share that story because you know I think I want people to recognize that you know that kind of thought process is normal. You know, it's, it's you know, and not to be judgmental, self self judging. You know, when it comes to those kinds of things, because it's you know it's something that is just part of the process. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And one thing I, I didn't do that I wish I had it was join some kind of support group. Um, after it was all over, I found out about support groups that were all over the area. But uh, during the time that mom was ill and when the, when the symptoms were severe, I didn't have time to even uh, go anywhere or, or even, you know, try to get to any meetings. Now, there's one thing the pandemic did for us that I will be grateful for, and that is these support groups uh, then went online. And now, mm. if, if you're if you're tied up at home, but but you need a support group, you can go online probably and find a group who can listen to to what what's going on with you. And you can there it, a lot of those people have been through the things that you're going through, and they can help you. So I, I really. Um, if you have time, and I, I know this is hard, but if you have time, investigate um, support groups, either in person or online. I, I talk to people who um, have already been through these things or who are going through these things now, and maybe some of the things um, they have uh, gone through will help you. It's, in fact, that's why I wrote this book. I, I hope that something in there might help someone else who's facing the same situation I was. Yeah, exactly. And knowledge is, is power. Um, now, was there any particular kind of medical equipment or anything that you or you know that you kind of brought in to assist that w that was useful in, in in helping you as a caregiver for your mom? Oh yeah, um, I'll tell you. Um, the best thing that we got was uh, uh, a chair on wheels called a rollator. I think they're called by different names in, in different parts of the country, but rollator is what I know as it. It's uh, it's like a little like a bicycle or a tricycle, only has four legs and four wheels. It sounds like you, that might be a little dangerous, but you have on handlebars, a left and a right one, a um, brake. So you you break it with your with your hand. So mom loved that thing. Uh, mom couldn't walk around by herself alone anymore, and, and even with some my, my being there, she needed a rollator. The rollator worked where uh, some of the other uh, canes and um, and things didn't. And uh, it's best if you can, can do this at all possible. Uh, take your mom to a medical supply store and have her look at the various things and how they work. Um, I wasn't able to do that, so I wound up buying a, a couple of different um, walking sticks, some with claws on the end, some with tennis balls, mm -hmm. and she didn't really like them. And, and that's, the, that's another lesson I learned. If your mom doesn't like it, she's not going to use it. It <laughs> doesn't matter how good it might be. But she loved the rollator, and we even put a little tiger's tail on it to make it look funny, and and, she, and that was fine. The other thing uh, that was really helpful was a medical alert system. She wore this around mm -hmm. her neck, and there are dozens and dozens of companies out there who um, who provide these services. And you can it can be a necklace or it can be a bracelet, but the thing of it is uh, they're customized to what you need. 
if you your if your um, patient has a um, an accident or an incident and needs help, they can press it and they can the company will program uh, that alert to go first to anyone you want. You can go first to you if a family member, and then if they can't get you, it'll drop down to nine one one or anybody else. So you can you can tell the life alert company uh, who to notify first, second, and third. And uh, mom was able. Mom got that early enough in her uh, disease that she knew how to use it, and she was using it even almost until the end. So that was great. Um, I, I highly um, recommend a, a life alert system. But again, if you can do some shopping around, um, compare everything. Uh, some are expensive. Uh, some aren't. Um, you, you can do all those things. The other thing uh, is a baby monitor. You can put baby mm-hmm. monitors in, in your house, in different rooms where your mom is, and uh, if she falls, you'll hear it. And uh, yeah. that worked too. So those three things, a, um, a, a rollator or a cane, whichever one she wants that works to help her get around, a, a medical alert system, and uh, a baby monitor, which is pretty uh, inexpensive, and, and you can use them anyway, uh, anywhere, actually. The other thing I should mention is a, um, and this is one you need to do early, a power of attorney for uh, legal and financial affairs. And, and that's because um, your mom might get sick. Uh, she might have complete loss of memory, but those bills are going to start coming in. And you have to be able to pay them. So it's good to, uh, if you can, check with a lawyer. Sometimes senior centers have um, uh, lawyers who come in pro bono um, every two or three weeks, and you can ask them questions, too. Yeah, yeah. Those are very important. You know, it's really important to get them um, kind of handled up front, you know, before an occasion occurs like like the example of the police coming to you, you know, had that been in place, you would have been able to, you know, get her to an emergency or have them, you know, get her to an emergency room. Yeah. That's so, right, exactly. And, yeah. Now, you have, you know, some of those things that you just mentioned are in one of your chapters called Gadgets and Gizmos um, mm-hmm. with, you know, different, different areas for people to, um, things to consider. And one of them that, that I thought was good was lists of important people and things. Oh, um, yeah. You know, you know, that's one area where, you know, we all have people who are important to us, you know, but not everyone knows who those people are. So, you know, when you know, as early as possible, I would think that it would be, you know, very helpful to be able to, you know, come up, to get those lists together just so that when the time comes, you know, you're, you would be able to talk to these people. Oh, yeah. This is this is something you can do at any time. When your mom is asleep, just get her medicines out and start writing down the different medicines she's taking. It's good to write down the, de- the dose, but you know what? All that information is on the medicine bottle. So just copy that down. Make one line, the medicine, the dosage, and what it's for and how often she's taking it. Make a list of the medicines and then make a list of her doctors. Even doctors you haven't seen in a long time. Um, even the dentist, because you never know. Put the dentist's name down and the phone, and the phone number down. Because you don't, Having the name is is not good enough. You don't want to have to spend time looking up, you know, on the web. Well, you know, what's his phone number? And also where they're located, their address. And then I made these lists. I had one list for mom's doctors and her um, medicines, and I made copies and I taped them all over the house. I did taped one to the refrigerator door. I taped one to the to the front door on the inside. Uh, that's so important because when the e- if the EMTs have to come for any reason, uh, if they can just see that, uh, that's good. And and also there's there's another thing you need. 
and that is a um, in Maryland it's called a most. It's a um, a form you fill out, and it, it basically says, uh, well, in most in most places in the country, I think it's called an advanced health directive. In, in Maryland, it's most medical orders for life-sustaining treatment. And in this, uh, you don't, your mom doesn't have to fill it out. You already have a power of attorney, hopefully, for medical decisions, and you can fill that out. And what it does is it tells the EMTs, if you make the decision, not to resuscitate. Some people don't mm -hmm. don't want to make that decision. They they want the EMTs to come in and do whatever is necessary to keep their patient alive, and that's a personal decision and a medical decision, and something you have to make. But if your mom is frail like mine was, and we knew that uh, the, she was 92 when she finally passed away. We knew there wasn't going to be a long life ahead of her. And the doctors explained to us that if, if she had a heart attack or, or something like that and the ENTs came, it's their job to resuscitate her and get her to the hospital. I mean, that's what they're trained to do, and, and we were grateful for that. But they said in your mom's case, when they come, they're likely, or they could um, bruise or even break your mom's ribs in the um, in the effort to keep her alive. And they said, "Is that what you want?" And and my answer was, "No, I don't want her to suffer any more than she's she's suffering now." So they said, "You need you need that that um, that health advanced health directive." And uh, and uh, a most form if if you're in a, a certain a state like Maryland. Yeah, you definitely need to check that. Now, when my father, um, my father had a do not resuscitate order, um, mm -hmm. and he, he his wife at the time had one, and the doctor had one. <clears throat> and when it got down to the point of having to invoke that, I mean, he was hospitalized and his organs were shut down. Mm -hmm. um, None of us could lay hands on that mm. that form, and yeah. it was it was you know I mean it was very um, challenging you know because I you know I, I tried to get him to confirm you know with me that that oh. was in fact what he still wanted, yeah. and he wasn't he wasn't verbal at the time and it's like. Oh. Blink one for you, two for no, please. You know, um, because it's it's a challenge. You know, it, it's it's a very important decision, and um, you know, luckily we the, the three of us got together. You know, we all knew that that was you know what he had, what he wanted, and, and mm -hmm. that you know we for some strange reason you know couldn't find it. So not only have it, but make sure you know where it is. You know. Um, when, when the time comes. Mm, that's good. Mm. You know, the thing with the advanced uh, health directive, I got one of those plastic uh, um, document protectors, and I made wow. copies, mm -hmm. and I put them in the plastic uh, uh, document protector, and then I taped that to the refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had forms everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I was hesitant about about getting that done, but they, the yeah. nurses tried to explain to me: do not resuscitate does not mean uh, do yeah. not continue, do not continue, or give up. They want, right. It right. means you want a quality of life as best you can give to your patient as to what they're capable of. And uh, yeah. as for, I just want to say a, a word about hospice. Hospice was one of the greatest things that happened to us. So. Just want to put that plug in there for them. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Now we're getting down toward the end of the show, uh, Leona. Now, one mm -hmm. thing I did want to touch on was that your your book has a lot of humor in it. Mm -hmm. um, so, can you tell us? I mean, I mean, it's obviously a very somber topic. Um, <laughs> so, why 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 the laugh? Why the why the humor in the in the book? Well, for for a couple reasons. One reason was mom. I had a great sense of humor. She was a funny lady, funny um, intentionally and sometimes accidentally, but we always laughed. We laughed a lot in our family. 
And when dementia came and, and basically uh, took away most of her sense of humor, I thought maybe somewhere in mom's mind she's still laughing. And I said to myself, when I write this book, I'm going to give people what I hope are some smiles at least as well because, uh, you know, life is hard. And when you're dealing with dementia, life gets a lot harder. And you need... You need some breaks. You need you need to be able to look at things, um, not humorously, but at least with a with a grain of salt and maybe smile at the things that happen. One time, Mom was at the dinner table, and we were eating together, and she looked at Dave and she said, "Who are you?" <laughs> well, we had we had to laugh a little bit. <laughs> you know, this was just we're in the middle of, of eating our dinner, and and Mom doesn't know who David is, and so. There are things, if you can find things to laugh at, find them, yeah. because there, there's not much, but there there will be some things. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's okay. It's important, you know, to find some lightness, you know, in, in mm-hmm. uh, the challenge that, that you face. Um, well, now, we're at the end of the show, so one of the things, um, you know, looking back, you know, what would you do differently? Now, a couple of things you mentioned during the show was, one, that you would have looked at assisted living sooner, you know, what mm-hmm. the options were. Um, careful not to make promises that you can't keep. But then a lot of that is, you know, you just don't know what lies ahead. So just be careful of promises. And then and then support group, you know, and to, to kind of look into support groups. Is, is there anything else that, that you either would have done differently or any suggestions for people who are listening who are kind of – in that process right at the moment? Well, what I would say is that um, you're not alone in this. A lot of people are going through uh, stages of dementia, which may be similar to what you're experiencing. There is help out there. Don't wait. Um, even even, Even if you have an elderly parent who doesn't have dementia, read up on it and see what people are facing. Uh, talk to people. Um, just don't don't feel like um, this is all on you. And get help, get help sooner than later. And get and after you've gotten help, get more help, because what you're going to find is uh, dementia is kind of a disease which not only takes a toll on the patient but on you, the caregiver. You're going to get tired. Uh, you're going to fi- have to find somebody to help when uh, when you need a day off. So. There is help out there, and you don't have to go through it alone. Um, just get help as soon as you can. Yeah, very much. Now, one last thing. On your website, you have a, a tab for photos. <laughs> and as a photographer, I couldn't not look at that. <laughs> <Those photos. laughs> so um, it's beautiful. I mean, you really capture shade and light wonderfully. I loved the Egyptian uh, the oh, yeah. photos from when you lived there. Oh, that was just, that were just they're just wonderful. So anyway, I, I loved the photography as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. All the photography there is mostly from my husband David. He's a photographer in the family. <laughs> oh, is he? Okay. Well. Pass on my compliments to the okay. to the man in there, <laughs> behind the camera. <laughs> I will. Uh, well, uh, thank you for your time. This has really been a delight, and, and I really appreciate the information you shared with listeners. Um, it is really helpful. Well, thank you. I, if it just helps one person, that'll be fine with me. Absolutely, and I know it will. So, um, thank you again for your time. Okay. All right. Thank uh, you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Leona Illig. We've been talking about her new book, Mom and Dementia and Me, A Caregiver's Journey, about uh, her mother who had Louis Barr dementia. Um, you can find out more about Leona's works of fiction and nonfiction by visiting her website, which is threevillagesmedia.wordpress.com. And that's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E, threevillagesmedia.wordpress.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. 
Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit byteradio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.